Welcome back to the entertainment from the 573 podcast. We're back. We got a lot to unpack on this episode. It's been a while since we posted an episode. So there's been a lot that's happened around in the world of entertainment. A lot of trailers being dropped. Movies coming out. We're going to discuss it all on here. So let's get right on into it. If you haven't yet, make sure to go check us out on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you guys get your podcast, check us out there. Give us a follow. Check out the Twitter account for the Views Entertainment Channel. New Views episode just posted up this week from uh, earlier this week, I believe on Tuesday. So go check that out once you have the chance. As I said, we got a lot to get to. So to give some, I, I, I guess, whatever you want to call it, some pretense to why some of the stuff is being discussed a little bit later? Well, we were trying to schedule something. Didn't work out. Kept on trying to reschedule and reschedule. Didn't work out. So I got the green light to go ahead and go solo with this. So here we are. And let's get right on into it. So as I said, a bunch of stuff has come out since the last time we've done a podcast. I believe the last one we did was looking at was the WandaVision finale. So... As you would think, a lot has happened since then. And I say let's go ahead and let's start with a simple thing. Let's go and start with the trailers because that, there's been a bunch of them. Let's put them all in one group together and they can lead into each other, into what we're going to discuss a little bit later on the episode. So I guess let's go ahead and let's get started. Let's get started with the one that isn't connected with, with a whole lot of what we're going to be discussing here today, and that is Space Jam and New Legacy. The trailer dropped for this last week, last Friday, last Friday or Saturday. First trailer popped up for this one. I got to tell you, this is going to be, I do, I want to give props to Warner Brothers for coming up with the idea of, hey, you know, we have all this IP now, so why, why not have all this IP come together to watch basketball game with LeBron, a bunch of Looney Tunes, a bunch of NBA players. Why not have that? And like, if you see in the trailer, like you can really kind of diagnose the Easter eggs of who's all there. Like the Night King from Game of Thrones is there. The Mystery Inc. gang is there. Um, Pennywise, somebody spotted Pennywise. King Kong is going to be there. King Kong making appearance within about a four month span here. So, yeah, it's a, the trailer overall, the story, I mean, we got a sense of what the story is going to be like. And I think we all kind of wonder, like, well, how, how are they going to do this? And they release a synopsis and like, OK, I still want to know how they're going to do this. And so that was revealed the story and what's going to happen. We got our first glimpses of all the NBA, WNBA cameos of the players that are going to be in there. The Dame one kind of makes sense if you look at the character design, the little um, clock on the shoulder, you know, Dame time, all that stuff. Clay, him on fire, I get that. You know, looking back at a 62-point game or whatever it was or when he scored like 37 or something in a quarter, I get that. Anthony Davis, as I think LeBron, he kind of looks like a bird, let me be honest. And I think LeBron has made a reference to that when talking about him in uh, interviews in the past. And so 
maybe that's a little bit of a hint hint from LeBron right there. And so I guess let's get on to what the story is going to be. I, I guess I should pull up the synopsis of what it's going to be. And we're going to have Don Cheeto in this. He's going to be the villain. I made a joke on Twitter that, you know, I guess he's learned some lessons from Ultron and he's taken them to another level. And I didn't think he would. So let's take a look at the premise. You know, with when basketball champion and global icon LeBron James, his young son, Dom, who dreams of being a video game developer, are trapped in a virtual space by a rogue AI named AIG Rhythm. That's Cheadle. LeBron must get him home safe, safe by leading Bugs Bunny, Daffy, Lola, and everybody else to victory over the over AIG's digitized champions on the court, the Goon Squad, which of course is going to be filled in by player uh, by players from around again the NBA and WNBA. So they're going to be a powered up roster of professional basketball stars as we've never seen them before. And it's Toons versus Goons in the highest stakes challenges of his life that will redefine LeBron's bond with the sun and shine a light on the power of being yourself. So that is the premise from Cursey of Wikipedia right there um, about this movie. And it looks just insane, nuts. I mean, like, it, it doesn't have to be a high art form for me to not want to go see this. I, I want to go see this. And also, I love how they paid homage to if I if I'm friends with LeBron, I was like, you you have some gall to be able to do this. Uh recreate the iconic photo that was that's been taken that's known for years since uh, with LeBron's heat days with him and D Wade with the alley oop. If 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 you know, you know and that's just crazy that they paid homage to that. That's wild. And I, I absolutely love that. And that's great. So that is coming out on July 16th, a few months from now, both in theaters and on HBO Max. So that's going to be a few months away. And so we just got our first trailer and it looks uh, it looks different. The animation definitely looks different. They've had some time to work on the animation since, of course, the first Space Jam, but it looks uh it looks interesting. I've seen some people say it looks a little bit like Ready Player One with I guess all the cameos that it has and with the animation stuff like that. So we'll have to see on July sixteenth what uh what this how good this movie is. But again, if you're expecting it to be a high art form, why? Just lower your expectations. You know what this is gonna be. The story doesn't have to make sense. It's just it's designed for you to have fun. And, you know, and with the last year and a half that we've had, I mean, we could use a lot of fun and a lot of goofiness. So, there's Space Jam, a new legacy. Now, let's get on to some of the other trailers that have been released in the time since then. And I guess let's start with DC here, as we're going to talk a little bit DC here a little bit later. But we're going to be discussing a couple of the Marvel ones first. The Black Widow trailer, they've released a new one. I didn't think they were going to release a new one, considering all the marketing they did in releasing a final one for last year. Of course, the movie keeps on getting pushed back and back and back, and now here we are coming out July 9th on Disney+. Plus. 
and in theaters. So they released a new trailer. It's more character driven. You see young Natasha. That whole group is a young family. And you're really kind of introduced to like what's going to be driven, what's going to be character driven by these characters that are going to be in these films. If you're going to be dealing with flashbacks and all that stuff, going back to Natasha's youth and all that stuff. And so a new trailer coming out, reminding us, hey, this film is still coming out July 9th. Disney Plus, Premiere Access, if if you want to do that, or if you want to go to theaters, that's an option as well. And, you know, I'm really interested to see, after with the aftermath of Kong, with Godzilla vs. Kong, which, I'm gonna, uh, by the way, I really enjoyed it. I did a little bit of a MonsterVerse binge with Skull Island, King of the Monsters, and this last night. And I got to tell you what, I am ashamed I did not pick up on, I don't care about spoiling it, the Hollow Earth stuff that uh, that was teased in a couple of those movies. I just now caught that with having, after seeing Godzilla vs. Kong, that's interesting. But you're seeing the money that it has made right now, where it had a huge five-day opening weekend total, close to $50 million, which King of the Monsters, speaking of, it made only about 56, but in a time where there's no pandemic, you know, there's no limited capacity to how much you can fill your theater, none of that. So that's really kind of shocking and seeing how many people went to the movie theaters to go see this movie. It's really kind of mind-boggling. And when you look at it, it's made three over 300 million globally. I believe it's made over 100 million domestically. And so... You have to start to wonder, even though they, I think we all expected this to happen with Black Widow at some point, with the announcement of it being a hybrid version, being on Disney Plus, being in theaters. I th- I think we probably expected this announcement a little bit sooner because with the way the world is gone, we kind of expect it. But now, you have all these vaccines that are rolling out. You have pe- a lot of people getting vaccinated. And a lot of people... Morning to go back to the movies, having a thirst to go back to the movies. And with Godzilla versus Kong, you know what it is. You know exactly what it's about. It's a giant lizard fight, fighting a giant monkey. You don't need to know anything else. And I mean, listen, people don't want to go to uh, people want to go to the theaters to have fun. And uh, again, after the last year and a half, there's not it hasn't been a whole lot of fun. And seeing a giant lizard fighting a giant ape giant monkey brings some excitement to it and of course when it's two legendary characters like Godzilla and Kong you want to go see that you want to go see who comes out on top you want to see if they team up and battle somebody like a Mecha Godzilla you want to see that and so looking at it it's kind it's kind of interesting to see if Disney kind of goes back on their plan with Black Widow and seeing what this movie does in theaters and saying like, hey, do we change course now? Do we go pure theatrical? Because by the time July comes, we don't know what world we're living in. Crap. We don't know what world we're going to be living in the tomorrow, two days from now. We have no clue. So, 
and especially in regards to this pandemic, that's especially true. So who knows what July will look like as far as how many people are vaccinated and how movie theaters are doing. I did see that movie theaters, some of their stock has risen up here lately. So that's a good sign. But you do have to start to wonder if Disney does decide to change course and go purely theatrical. I mean, I think there will be a, a, a similar thirst. People want to have fun. It's Black Widow. It's MCU. You know, we've just come off of, you know, one division. We're right now in the midst of Falcon and Winter Soldier. By that time, we'll have Loki still going on. So we'll have two MCU products to really enjoy. So maybe there's something similar there. So we'll just have to see what happens with that. So a couple things happening with the Black Widow movie. Speaking of Loki, let's talk about the Loki trailer for a minute. I don't know about you guys, but this looks as every bit as weird and crazy as WandaVision. Maybe even a little bit more. And I'm kind of getting the feeling that, you know, Falcon War Soldier is a little bit more straightforward. This, WandaVision, or not. You can come up with a lot of theorizing. And so I'm predicting there's going to be a whole lot of theorizing coming out with this show. You know, they had this inter uh, this interaction with Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. I'm really excited to see how their characters play off of each other. It looks like it's going to be really funny. I really think the Loki variant thing is going to be interesting. And considering that there's been rumors that you might have old Loki, Lady Loki, Kid Loki. Which if they do Kid Loki, that's another Young Avengers kind of tie-in that they would be setting up. Considering if you've looked at WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and the ties they've set up with the Young Avengers so far. So that ought to be interesting. Them actually showing that his that Loki's actions of taking the Tesseract have consequences. You, I mean, you know the phrase, you break it, you you buy it. But in this case, you break it, you fix it. And they're employing Loki to help fix all the timelines that he's kind of messed up. And you kind of see the timeline branch off into different realities. And a couple look like they're going to collide. And that's going to be going to be crazy. You know. And we also have, you know, I'm trying to think what <laughs> what else is in the trailer. I think a couple inches of Asgard, a different type of Asgard. We get a shot of a destroyed New York, a destroyed Avengers Tower in which the Avengers lost. And, you know, coming right off the hills of the Snyder Cut, you know, seeing a world in which the heroes kind of lost, they kind of screwed up. And, you know, that ought to be interesting to see if there's anything that's going to come out of that timeline and him seeing that, you know, what ha what exactly happened there that caused the Avengers to lose. And it just looks all weird and exciting. And it's it's Loki. I'm <laughs> You know the character right now. You know what you're going to get. And uh, it's going to be a lot of time shenanigans. And that's coming out on June 11th. So not too long from now, about two two months from now, we are going to be getting Loki. And so the wait is going to be a little bit tough considering we just had these two shows. But, you know, we did just get these two shows back to back. So give a little bit of a break. Then on June 11th, we get Loki. And then we go and get Black Widow. 
And so I, I think after then we get what if too, but like, yeah, nice run there. And so we're going to have to wait and see, but I really enjoy the trailer. So two good trailers there from Marvel. I guess let's go to Suicide Squad and talk about that because they've released two trailers to this one. And two trailers look absolutely nutty. Look crazy. Look like you would expect a Suicide Squad film to look like. Sylvester Stallone voicing King Shark is something I didn't know I needed. And just seeing all these interactions and seeing what's going to be involved. And you, you, with the villain of this, I think it's Starro, I believe it is. Just a, like a giant starfish. Like it, It's like, okay. And they just let James Gunn do whatever he want. Go balls to the wall. Crazy, bonkers, and including whatever he wanted. And it set a record for Red Band trailers and how much it's been viewed. So... The Suicide Squad trailers look immensely good and fun and entertaining and what you would expect that type of movie to look like. So, I'm excited for this. This And this is coming out in August. August can't get here soon enough. So, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to see what James Gunn has for us with this one. So, there's our, those are the trailers, everybody. And so... I kind of messed up the timing there. I meant to go Suicide Squad, Marvel Trailers, and that would lead into Falcon and Winter Soldier. But you know what? Screw it. You know, we haven't done a podcast here in a while. So let's get around to Falcon and Winter Soldier. And of course, we had a fourth episode drop this morning or whenever, you know, whatever time zone you're in when you're listening to this, whether it's in the morning, afternoon, or maybe you got it at midnight last night who knows so let's get right on into our thought into my thoughts on the season so far you know i thoroughly have enjoyed this season so far this is the one i was looking forward to the most out of all the uh, all out of all the mcu planned shows that they had for us of course this was the first one that we were supposed to get and this is the one that felt most marvel like and so now we're here four episodes in. It does feel like an event. It does feel kind of like a six hour movie. Malcolm Spellman, the showrunner has basically, and the writer has said essentially much is that he's playing this as a six hour type of feature. It definitely kind of feels like that. We're like in the middle part of it now, like these last two episodes. Okay. The first two episodes set up the first few or so bits of this type of film. Then, these two episodes set up the middle part, and then these last two, I'm assuming, are going to set up the climax in the big third act that we're going to have in episodes five and six. And so I think he can definitely kind of get that feel for it right now. And let's let's talk about I mentioned the Young Avengers here. Let's talk I want to talk about that first because of course they introduced Isaiah Bradley, a huge reveal in episode two and some of the backstory behind the super soldier serum, the legacy of Captain, the Captain America mantle, the legacy behind that shield. And it's, it, that's in itself is incredible, but they also introduce 
his grandson, Eli Bradley, who, of course, in the comics, is Patriot, and he's part of the Young Avengers. And if you look at what Marvel's doing right now, you know, Wicked and Speed, Billy and Tommy introduced in WandaVision. You now have introduced Eli Bradley as... He's not the Patriot yet, but the implication is that that might happen. You got Kate Bishop coming in the Hawkeye series. America Chavez coming up in the Multiverse of Madness movie. Riri Williams and Ironheart. Cassie Lang in the Ant-Man Wasp sequel. And you also have, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, Miss Marvel. With Miss Marvel, her series. So, there's kind of a clear idea as to what they're kind of setting up. And I'm really interested to see how far they go with this Young Avengers teasing. I mean, they're definitely teasing it if they're introducing us these characters, considering we know where they're from, we know where their ties are in the comic lore. So it'll be interesting to see how they do Young Avengers. Is this, is this going to be a separate Avengers film, or are they going to do Thunderbolts? That's been discussed. Dark Avengers, that's been discussed as well. Is it, you know, are they going to team up with one of those Avengers teams if they do that? You know, I'll be interested to see, but there's definitely tie-ins to that. Okay, so talking about the bigger stuff, especially one in episode four last night, they are not shying away with talking uh, talking about uncomfortable conversations, especially dealing with race. They talked about it a little bit in episode one. They really hit on it in episode two with the back-to-back scenes with Isaiah Bradley and him talking about how he essentially was thrown away for years, at, uh, several years for, you know, something that, you know, he shouldn't have been punished for. And he, that, you know, he took the serum, he went out and was Captain America, but they essentially punished him for it. And then you get that scene too with the cops in Baltimore with Sam and Bucky. And so they're not shying away from this. Marvel's not shying away from this. And I'm kind of glad that they're not, especially considering what's going on in this last year. You know, and I feel like this would have been kind of extremely poignant to release this series, especially on the heels of everything going on last summer. But instead we get it now, but that still doesn't mean that the effect is any lesson. You still really feel it and you, and you see it and see what Marvel is doing right now. So, props to them. Um, so far, you know, the big one of the big talking points through the series has been Sam not taking the mantle. We largely know why he doesn't take it up, you know. But, you know, there's probably an idea that he has that there should only be one cap. It's going to be Steve. No one could ever live up to the type of person he was and all they did as cap. So... We're going to see. I know, I think he's going to take the mantle here. With, I mean, we only got two episodes left. I think with how episode four leaves us, it really kind of shows us that he's really the only one that is worthy to take the mantle. And if you've seen that ending of episode four, that's a doozy. I'm not going to spoil it here, considering it's, it's come out. And by the time I release this pod... It's, it's going to be sometime this afternoon, and maybe some of you guys haven't seen it yet, so I'm not going to do that to you. Um, 
I'm not going to have another Loki died in Infinity War moment here, but it's a doozy. But I just think, you know, it, you know, at the end of the day, he, I think he's going to get the mantle. But I think there's also going to be a realization that, you know, whoever takes on the mantle should try to be the best cap by being themselves. They shouldn't try to live up to Steve or what he did and all he represented. Just being themselves and bringing what they have to offer to that type of mantle. And with Sam, he has a lot of the same ideals as Cap, but he's he's a little bit more humorous. He, he has a different type of background than Steve. And so by being himself and by showing what he's offering as Captain America, what he would offer as that type of role, you know, he is worthy to take it, he, you know. As far as we've seen, there's nobody else in the series that has been worthy to take it so far, but he's shown the abilities that make him worthy of taking the mantle, especially there's a moment in episode four where he really kind of differs with how the new Captain America, John Walker, would would deal with these things. And speaking of John Walker, let's talk about him so far. You know, you kind of see him at the end of episode one. You're kind of like, I hate this guy. And then episode two, we kind of get a little bit more of his background, all the stuff he went through. And we get a little bit more of that in episode four, some of his background. We hear that he has three medals of honor that he got from serving. We find out a little bit more about why and how in episode four and how that exactly wasn't that great. But... I think we're all kind of thinking he's going to get the serum at some point that he's not the camp that he wants to be. He doesn't, he, he isn't juiced up when we first see him in action in episode two, when he's fighting the flag smashers, we do see elements of him using the shield where he knows how to use it. He saves his boy, Lamar Hoskins, Battlestar, nice little team up there. And Lamar has really become a voice of reason for John Walker so I really liked him kind of being, again, that voice of reason. Like, hey, you know, you can't do things that you did before. I mean, you're a cap. You have a new set of responsibilities. And so I really like that part. But, you know, I think you're kind of figuring with how he's been teased and set up since episode two. He's kind of a little bit of an unhinged. He has a little bit of a temper. He's a little bit impatient. And are were those qualities going to come back? to really push him over the edge and maybe possibly take the serum because, hey, he doesn't feel like he can be Cap adequately enough unless he has a super soldier serum. And, of course, we know it's out there. The flag smashers are out there. The power broker wants some. We're going to talk about the power broker in a little bit, but we know that that stuff is out there and that there's some of it out there. I don't know if there's any more after episode four, but, you know, possible little spoiler warning there, but we're just going to have to see. So, after episode four, you're definitely going to see a change in him and probably realizing fully his comics type of side and, like, him really fully going unhinged. But, you know, so far, I mean, if you hate them, you know, if you hate the U.S. agent, if you hate John Walker, I mean, props to Wyatt Russell for doing it because if, you know, they're making you feel that type of emotion so much, you know the actor is doing a good job in portraying him. And so, 
that's he's kind of like an interesting. Is he an antagonist? Is he an antihero? He does show some qualities where you, you kind of get behind him. You do understand, but you know there are some qualities you look at like yeah, and no, I'm backing away from this. And so speaking of the villains, you don't really know who's gonna who's the villain so far. Could it be the Flag Smashers? You know, some of their ideals are sort of sympathetic and, you know, you do understand where they're coming from and the helping displaced people that have come back after the blip and where, you know, there's not really a whole lot of help going on as far as government concerned. They're just saying, putting them on in like different camps and stuff like that. But that they're actually helping them, giving them food, supplies, stuff like that. But they do have a means in which, you know, should not be done to go uh, try to go through that stuff, especially after seeing episode three where a building is blown up full of people and you know, it, and you know, it's not what you want to see. And with Carly, you kind of understand where she, where she's coming from, but those means are not the right type of means that you go through that stuff. Um, and we learn a little bit about some of the, those means and talking about that in episode four and those discussions are really good. I think episode four is by far my favorite episode so far. Um, I think with each episode, it keeps on getting better and better. So hopefully if that's the case, episode six, the finale is going to be a banger. So we'll just uh, have to see, but the flag smashers, you do understand where they're coming from. It's just that, you know, it's a group that goes a little bit too far with their methods, even though they want to help people. Uh, Zemo, we gotta talk about our guy Zemo. Yeah, <laughs> him dancing. They re- Marvel released the dancing Zemo cut. They did it faster than Warner Brothers did with the Snyder cut. <laughs> so we get a reveal of him at the end of episode two. Episode three, it's just a delight. And him contributing to the conversations with Sam and Bucky and him talking about what a symbol like Steve, like Captain America, what that would mean. And all that stuff. I mean, like, he really does bring some good conversations to the table between those three in episode three and in episode four as well. So he's been a delight so far. And seeing him wear the mask in episode three, I know everybody's been waiting for that. His comic his comic book mask. And he's out there wearing it. So, you know, that's extremely fun. And <laughs> just seeing how rich he is, you know, you kind of forget, like, you know, what he was before everything happened with Age of Ultron, with Civil War and all that stuff. And so I really like, you know, all that stuff going on there with Zemo. Um, A little bit of a tangent here, but, you know, uh, Sharon Carter, you know, well, maybe not much of a tangent considering the theories out there. Nice to see her pop up in episode three and nice to see her, you know, flesh out some of her character a little bit and what's going on with her basically being disowned by american government from what we see and she's out in madripoor nice madripoor shout out i really like madripoor it looks great you know it kind of reminds me of the black panther club type of scenes and you know that environment the lights and everything you know but you know it was just great seeing her and just absolutely kick the crap out of people absolutely kick the crack crap out of people it was amazing you know and you got Colstad, Derek Colstad, who's written the John Wick movies, has done those movies. He's written 
the last two episodes. I believe he wrote episode four. He definitely wrote episode three. And so I really like uh, where we're going with that. And so it was nice to see some John Wick type of action there with uh, with her character. But of course, the theories I'm getting at is to, could she be the power broker? And the power broker in the comics is a character that is connected to John Walker, connected to Battlestar, and helping give them the serum, gives people powers. I wonder if it's going to be somebody we already know or if it's going to be a new character. I feel like it's... I'm more inclined to think that it's going to be somebody that we've already met in the MCU. It's just somebody that we don't expect. Or who knows? It might be somebody we expect. It might be Sharon or it might be Thunderbolt Ross. We know his intentions with getting his hands on the Super Soldier Serum with Blonsky, Abomination, and all that stuff. So... That's a possibility. So I guess we're going to find out these next two episodes. What about the power broker and who that person is and, you know, what they do and what they've done. And if they've been around during that five year time period during the blip and all that stuff. So, so far, I really like what the Falcon Wear Soldier series has done so far. Episode four, the beginning of it. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness, at the beginning of episode four and the ending of it is just so good, you know. And of course, in episode three, we have Io coming back from Wakanda, from the door Milaje. So now Wakanda's getting involved in, in things. And so it's really nice to see Wakanda getting involved and seeing that connection pop back up with them and with Bucky and what they did for Bucky and how they helped him and kind of cleared his mind of the Winter Soldier program. So... So far, so good. And as I said, if this might, this might be my favorite episode so far. And I think there's a pattern that each episode I, I like more and more. And if that trend continues, next week is going to be awesome. And then episode six, the finale is going to be just as awesome. And especially if we're seeing Sam officially take on the mantle and maybe getting his own cap costume. If that happens, then yeah, yeah I'm excited for that. So that's the Falcon Wear Soldier, everybody. All right. So let's talk about some Snyder Cut here. I know we're a little bit late on this. Short but sweet. Me, Peter, and Matt, we all liked it. <laughs> we all kind of liked it. Peter's reaction was the most surprising one. Now, Matt hasn't seen the original Justice League Cut. And for that, I'm really thankful for him and for his sanity that he hasn't seen that original cut. But we all liked it. Peter really liked it. He was surprised by it. He originally texted me and said, you know, he's had friends that are DC fans that have seen it and liked it. So he felt like that may have been a precursor to maybe him possibly enjoying it. And so it's crazy to think that we all liked it, especially Peter when, you know, he's made he's made a lot of jokes about it. It's expense and I have too. And I've said from the beginning, if it was just a a little bit, like a per, 1% better than the original cut, it's a win. It's a win for me because we got a better Justice League movie. Uh, but this was just, so, this was so much better than the original cut. And so, in talking about it, some of the conversations between me and Peter, I think we kind of feel the same about how we think of this and what we think could have happened, oh, could have happened with the sequels 
and if we wanted to see more sequels, I think me and him are in agreement. We would have liked to see all the sequel stuff play out with all the stuff that they kind of tease, like the Legion of Doom, Dark Side coming taking over the Anti Life Equation. We get the Nightmare sequence come to life a little bit more and get some more in depth of that, and that, and of course with the epilogue. So we get a lot of stuff set up that we're probably not going to see, but it does make us wonder if we would have wanted to see these type of sequels. And yes, I know the Restore the Snyderverse thing is going on, but I think, at least I think, DC has an idea of what they're playing on. Considering their movies next year, they got the Batman, which is going to take place on a different Earth. I think Earth 2 that they've said. Supposedly the Flash, and hopefully we'll get that finally. You know, I'm forgetting. Black Adam, supposed to get that. And then Aquaman 2. And so, I'm kind of sensing they have a plan, but not really. And that comes off the heels of them coming out and saying, hey, we're canceling the Trench movie that we had based on the Aquaman stuff and the New Gods film that uh, that would have really tied in with Darkseid and his character a little bit. But I think in just talking about the Snyder Cut overall, we really liked it. Again, they introduced the anti-life equation. That's huge with what it means for DC. Cyborg and Flash really improved on both sides for us. The only problem, you know, the only problem with that was, you know, I think with the Flash, Peter mentioned the Flash introduction as one of his favorite parts of the movie. And how they cut that out was stupid. <laughs> there's trust me. There's a lot of that stuff coming from a Peter like uh, talking about the grave robbing scene. How did they cut this out? Why did Warner Brothers cut this out? <laughs> so I think I think one of the things about the flash sequence is the slow mo. And yeah, <laughs> trust me, there's a lot of slow mo. If you watch this film, you know what I read something from IGN that. Props to whoever calculated this, who at the time, and the patience to deal with this. You know, somebody in IGN calculated the slow-mo time. And in the if you calculate the time as four hours, one minute, 53 seconds, round it out to four hours and two minutes, that slow-mo totaled 24 minutes and seven seconds of the movie. Really close to 10%. The actual percentage is 9.97. Without the credits, is 3 hours, 53 minutes, and 7 seconds. That's around 10.3% of the movie is slow-mo. So, if we're talking cons right here, that's obviously a con taking up that much of the movie. Cut some of the slow-mo stuff out where it's not so much in your movie. I think that's a whole lot better. Save some time right there and get into some other stuff here. You know, some of the other cons that I personally have with it, you know, there weren't as many jokes. And, you know, I think that's a product of, you know, the changes that they've made with with the film and when Snyder left and had to deal with his family tragedy, you know, but a little bit more darker. You know, I felt like there were a little bit, a little bit of a couple weird music choices that they, uh, that they had, you know, I will mention that Wonder Woman theme, while great the first couple of times, first few times, 
it does get an, uh, a little bit of a annoying to a point. And so maybe use more of the Wonder Woman theme, I guess, because that Wonder Woman theme is elite, everybody. That's elite. But other than that, I think, you know, I had lots of exposition, but, you know, I made a point. I was like, yeah, but I think you got you kind of have to for those, I guess, who haven't seen the original Justice League, the theatrical cut like Matt, to where you may need some stuff explained. Maybe you're not as into the DC mythology as some other hardcore fans. And so maybe you need a little bit of an explanation on that, like dark side, anti-life equation, mother boxes, all that stuff. Uh, so I, I can I, I know that there's a lot of it, but I do kind of defend it because there's a lot you had kind of set up and you know, some of that exposition is you might have to deal with character development and character development, I think was a huge pro in this film. And of course, if you have a four hour film, it's going to improve any character development that you have from any previous cut. And it certainly did that. You understood certain characters' motivations, why they did certain things, why they did the things they did, why they said the things they said, you know, why they feel a certain type of way. And you really felt a lot of that with a lot of the characters, especially Flash, especially Cyborg, who is definitely the heart of this movie. And, his character, you know, was one that's been bitch as being really butchered in the theatrical cut. And just seeing his story kind of come to life, you know, and him being the heart of that with everything that he goes through. Really great. And again, the Flash stuff is great. You know, Flash is a little bit better than this. Peter mentioned that, you know, he isn't as annoying and is a little bit, a little bit more tolerable. Um... But, you know, I think as far as, you know, this is a win. This is a win for this. And despite, you know, maybe not bringing in a whole lot of people to HBO Max and not having people flock to it like maybe they did for Godzilla versus Kong, this is still definitely a win. You end up getting a little bit of a better movie out of this, out of the original Justice League cut, which has been marred by all, everything that's gone on off the set and on the set with the Ray Fisher stuff with what's been said about Joss Whedon and how he handled things over there with how Warner Brothers has handled things with that, how Warner Brothers has handled things with the script for, for Justice League. You know, I'm going to get into that a little bit later because there is a really kind of uh, not holding back any punches article from Vanity Fair that they did with Chris Terrio, the writer of, uh, uh of Justice League and also helping out with BVS as well. But, you know, you really feel like this is a better movie. This is a, you know, Peter actually told me, I was shocked when he told me this is when he, when he really said as, you know, looking in, in terms of DCU, everything past Man of Steel said, this is the best film they had. You know, he said he was entertained, intrigued, satisfied. You know, one of the things I do agree with him is that Stefan Wolf is a whole lot better in this cut. You know, the CGI stuff, you know, a little bit better. But, you know, as far as his motivations, him being kind of a tragic type of character, he can't go back home. And the only way he can go back is if he does all this stuff with the mother boxes for dark side and that that might get him in his good graces we still don't even know then but 
I was kind of shocked by that. And, you know, I don't think it's the best movie post Man of Steel. I still think Wonder Woman probably is. But I do think, you know, it's a 100% more of an improvement than what we got in 2017. 100% more. And the fact that, you know, there that it's got people curious about sequels, you know, it, it's really kind of crazy. Again, I don't think we're going to get them, but it is an idea to ponder, you know, could some of this stuff kind of happen? You know, could, could we see Justice League 2 with the Legion of Doom and with everybody that would have appeared there? You know, would we see Darkseid's invasion, see everything that comes alive with all this stuff? And so, as far as the Snyder Cut, it was a win. It was a win for Zack Snyder and for everybody involved in getting this cut realized, his vision realized, and getting this out there and really putting out a solid film. Again, really enjoyed it. Now, to what I mentioned earlier, there's and there was an article from Vanity Fair that that came out yesterday, where they talked with Chris Terrio and talking about really kind of what went on behind the scenes with BVS with Justice League, as far as writing it, as far as Warner Brothers getting involved in it, you know. Essentially, this is essentially kind of what I took away from the article. This is kind of essentially summarizing BBS and Justice League, essentially. You know, they have this line, you know, the screenwriter was frank about trying to make sense of the film's wearing heroes. And this is talking about BBS, but again, I think this is about those two movies overall in general. You know, turning their fight into a metaphor for divided America while attempting to fix elements he, he too found nonsensical or offensive. Studio officials then demand that 30 minutes be removed from a theatrical cut, most likely because shorter run times mean more daily screening and often resulted in higher box office earnings. And Terrio said that acts sabotage in the area. So essentially that last part there is is key because if you know about the original cut of Justice League, it is two hours or uh, slightly under two hours. Now, do we need an end game type of movie for this type of thing? No, but I just think a little bit longer trying to explain characters and motivations and the best way you can in that amount of runtime. And then you're good to go. But the studio get involved and, you know, they're focused on the money, making money from this. And if you're talking about Batman v Superman, of course, it's Batman versus Superman, two of the biggest superheroes ever. So you're going to obviously try to market that. In fact, you know, he essentially talks about that when talking about the title of the film. That's not what I would have titled it. I think it's a bad title, but you, you know why Warner Brothers decided to do that because it's a marketing ploy. Batman v Superman. You know, Batman versus Superman, both of them fighting against each other. You know, that's a marketing ploy right there and getting you excited, getting you hyped for the film and getting people to say, hey, these are two of the most well-known and popular superheroes out there and they're going to be fighting against each other for the first time on screen. I think we kind of forget that sometimes that that was their first time on the movie screen together and, you know, just seeing them interact. So while that part's great, you know, the daily screening stuff is and Warner's getting involved having too much of a hand in things with BVS, 
with Justice League and all that stuff. It's kind of it's kind of crazy, but not crazy considering the things that have been coming out about them for the last last year or so with uh, their stuff on and offset. But if you want to read this article, it's on Vanity Fair. Go read it. I think it's really insightful. It's really kind of like, again, he doesn't hold back any punches when talking about how much the studio has kind of screwed him over, has screwed you know, the actors, the people that worked on these movies over, the movies in general over, and getting too much involved and, you know, not caring about anything else except, you know, getting what they want out there and stuff like that. And, like, there's even a part of this article where it's like, um, you know, he was wanting to get his name off of the original Justice League cut because he he, he had seen that. He didn't like it. He wanted to get his name off of it, but there's a whole, there's a lot of legal processes that would have happened, and they would have essentially had to. They had prints of the movie already already ready. They would have had to recall them, get some, you know, essentially have to delay the film a little bit because of all that stuff. And you can imagine the type of controversy that would come up out of that. Is like you know, just like writer doesn't want film attached to it. You can imagine the type of stuff that would be stirring up about that. So, this article, really good if you're really interested in knowing like, what's actually kind of happened from a writer's perspective behind the scenes of these two movies. Uh, go give it a read. It's on Vanity Fair. Um, it's just like, you know, that he didn't hold anything back in talking about them and talking about certain decisions that were made behind the scenes on those two movies. But, I think that's where we're going to end it today, everybody. Obviously, a whole lot to get through uh, with how long it's been since we've done a pod. So, hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. And hope, and uh, we'll be back talking a little bit later about Falcon War Soldier. We're probably going to be doing something for the finale, after the finale, talking about that and what stuff it might lead to. Again, I've read that it could lead to... Um, like three three MCU products. I don't know if we know about them or not. It wasn't said, but supposedly it leads into some more MCU stuff with uh what's been said about it. So hopefully by the end of episode six we'll we'll have an idea of what some of those properties are. But uh until then everybody, hope you all are doing well. Hope you all stay safe and we'll talk to you next time.